Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He grew up in the Vancouver area, where he's actually from Burnaby, excuse me, and he grew up playing for Force and Seaside. He went on to play for Team BC Beach and Indoor, and is currently a member of the York Lions. Please welcome to the show, Martin Prinsloo. Marty, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. This will be good, man, because I, I get to work with you every week, and, and I'm familiar with your game, but I know nothing about your backstory, so this is going to be really cool. But uh, uh, I mentioned the Burnaby thing, so... What was it like growing up in that area, and what other sports were you playing before you fell in love with volleyball? Uh, Burnaby's like kind of like I guess Scarborough. I don't know the Toronto area too well, but just like the city right outside of Vancouver, still a big city. Um, but when I was growing up, I was playing like all the sports. My parents gave me opportunity to pursue like whatever I wanted to, and like did a lot of driving and made sure that I had opportunities. So I played like soccer, did like club track a little bit. And basketball were like the main ones that I played, but soccer is my first love. And I went really hard into soccer up until I switched over to volleyball. But I'm just like grateful for my parents for giving me opportunities to do whatever I wanted to put my heart into. Yeah, impressive too, because you have siblings, right? So they must have been busy just taking all you guys around, right? Yeah, my brother, when we were younger, also did a lot of sports, but was more like artistic than me. And then also fell in love with volleyball and plays volleyball for Redeemer as well. But yeah, they're doing lots of driving all the time and also both working jobs like themselves. So they made a lot of sacrifices for us. At what point uh, did you know volleyball was going to be for you? Because I think soccer is amazing and you can play it basically as soon as you can run. You can play soccer. Uh, like They do such a good job at the youth level where volleyball really isn't that fun until like 13 or 14 and your skills get good enough, right? Like gym class volleyball isn't that appealing. So did you have a really good school coach that got you hooked? Was it because you and your brother were playing pepper in the backyard? Like what made volleyball go over the top? My mom is actually like really passionate about volleyball and my, both my mom and my dad actually played. My mom played like university in South Africa. It's not as high of like a level as here. My dad just plays recreationally, but my, when we came to Canada, my mom was like a coach for like older girls than me. And I'd always be around practice, like shagging balls. I had these videos of my mom, like trying to teach me and my brother when we were really young, like how to pass, how to set. So I started the game like really young. But I was, soccer was like my first love. Like I had a life-size Fernando Torres poster in my, in my room. I think I still have it up actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love soccer. And then... When I was like 10 years old, my mom signed me. My mom was the coach of like a Fortune U boys team. And I just went to the tryout to try to choose coach in the A team. I just went to the tryout trying to make a team. And I made like the B team. And the B team was really bad. But me and two other like 10-year-olds also just uh, made the team. And so when we got to like 14U, our team was pretty good. Because we had three players who had been playing for four years at 14U. And at that point, it's just about serving and passing. And so we had enough to serve and pass and be pretty good. So I'd say 14 years when I like really fell in love with the game and started taking it. Like I kind of dropped soccer at like 15 U, but and just did volleyball. But up until then, it was like soccer was my main sport. And did you, like, I know it's a while ago, do you remember really loving your teammates and coach did a good job? Like, I know it's not that big of a gap, but even what 13 turning 14 year olds are talking about uh, when they're getting ready for practice or on water break is way different than a 10 year old's talking about sometimes, right? So did you ever feel like you were like too young or like socially you weren't there or because you were there athletically, like it was fine to play three years up, I guess? I definitely wasn't there athletically. 
Um, I know now they have like fair play and like stuff for 14 use, but back then it wasn't any like fair play rule. My role was basically just to, if we were out by a bit, I could come in and put in a overhand serve and stay in for one rotation and then get back on the bench. But my role was just basically to be a body in practice with my other uh, 10 year old teammates and just like cheer them on. I really enjoyed the guys, even though I didn't really understand what they're talking about all the time because they were like grade eights and I was grade five. So the communication there is not always about the same type of stuff. Like I'm scared of girls and they're all of a sudden talking about all these girls in their class. But no, I just really, I think a lot of my passion comes from my mom. My mom really loves volleyball. And when I saw her playing it at a young age, like I really wanted to pursue it as well. So I think that's where my passion comes from, but definitely wasn't one of the more athletic kids on my team when I was very young. And you were never discouraged at all about going to these day-long tournaments and only playing like eight rotations total? Like you you still loved it, I guess. Volleyball teams, you, you train so much that you might have two, to, two practices a week and only three or four tournaments a year at that time, right? So what, was it the practice environment that got you hooked? Um, I did enjoy hanging out with my teammates for sure too. I don't really remember much about those years except like my coaches were pretty cool. Like my mom wasn't coaching me at that age. It was just some other like parents that were running it, but they tried to make sure they gave me, they, they kept me involved even though I wasn't on the floor. Like I don't even really remember. I just remember one time I was like speaking to the team in a timeout about how like we should be happy that we're playing volleyball. It doesn't matter that we're losing or something like that, which if you know me now, like, it's kind of ironic. Like I, I lose my, lose my noggin at practice sometimes, but sometimes I need to be able to listen to my younger self and just be like, we're happy that we're playing volleyball. So I just enjoyed my teammates. I think. Yeah. I don't think I could hold a straight face giving you the same speech during practice, but uh, that might be my goal for the rest of the year is just to tell you to be happy that we're playing volleyball right now. Yeah. <laughs> so you and I were talking before the show and you made the tough decision in 16 U. um, to travel a little bit further, but also be more of like just a training player than an actual roster player. So uh, what kind of drew you to force? Was it you knowing that you needed to get a high level coaching to kind of reach some of the goals you wanted? You wanted to be around like Brody and then just as that age group of person or what made you kind of leave your local club to travel to a team that uh, you weren't going to get any playing time, right? Yeah, it was kind of a, a not, I didn't think through the decision too much. Actually, it was kind of just the spur of the moment. Me and my friend, like Matthew Martinson, he doesn't play anymore. He was committed to Queens, but got in a car accident, unfortunately. Um, he was actually Brassburg's beach partner when he was younger. Um, me and him were like really close when we were younger. He also played on that like focus team when we were young, like 14U. Um, we were like, oh, like we met Brody in high school volleyball and he was like so much better than everyone because he had been playing up. We didn't know who he was. But when we saw him in high school volleyball, we're like, oh, like we would love to like get to practice against that every day. Let's just go to the tryout and like see if we have the ability to make the team. And so we went to the tryout and no one else showed up except for the previous team from the previous year and me and Matt. So there were like also guys hadn't returned from last year. I think there was like 11 guys at the trial. And they were like, okay, well, guys are younger. We get like personal training here. We get like Brian Hofer's our coach. He's like a university coach. Like you would get a lot better here than anywhere else in terms of club. Like you guys wouldn't play, but we would turn you into good athletes for your 17 year and 18 year year where you could then succeed. So uh, me and Matt kind of just thought it through. We were like, 
well, both of us wouldn't be playing. We'd be doing this together. We'd hit the gym hard together. And we kind of made that decision like randomly. It wasn't super thought through. We didn't even think we were going to make the team. But we just made uh, the decision randomly to do it and definitely don't regret it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I can't think of somebody giving up their 16-year year, which is such a big year, just physically and skill-wise to kind of forfeit the competition that comes with that and still become like a provincial team and a university-level player. That, that's that's wicked. So uh, what was that year like? Like, obviously, you agreed to that at the tryout phase, but did any part of you ever get the itch or really miss going to competition? Or like, you knew you were in for and you just loved going to training? I was a little delusional when I was a kid. Um, when I when they told me I was going to play, I was like, I'm the best right side on my at my age group. Uh, I'm going to take this guy's spot. But... Um, Turns out there's like they're like a four-time national champion at 18U. I'm a 16U kid who hasn't won nationals before. Um, I definitely ended up on the bench, but the whole time I was just trying to push for that starting spot, even though I wasn't really close. I was really just trying to get a lot better so that I could hopefully one day get an opportunity to take that spot. That opportunity never came, and I never was good enough to do it. But I was really pushing myself, and Matt was pushing me to try to get better and almost like a first year university experience where like everyone else in the gym is really a lot better than you. And they trained like three days a week and lifted three days a week. So not a full university experience, but as close as you can get in the club. So doing all of that, like really set me up for a good 17 new season. Yeah. So take me through that decision. Uh, you land on seaside for your 17 new and 18 year. So was the was the plan going according to plan in terms of 16U was such a big uh, learning year for you that you felt like you were set up to have success in 17U? Yeah, so after the 16U club season, I made the 16U Team BC team, which I had made in the past, but I made it again, and I played with guys that were my own age for the first time in that team, and I got like kind of close with some of the dudes who were on Seaside. They had won Provincials the year before. It was like a little far away from my house, but I got pretty close to the guys on the team. And so I went to the trial for Seaside. I went both to the 17U and the 18U trial. The 18U team would have been like Michael Dehanyuk and guys like that, and Brassberg and guys like that. Uh, Dave Dooley was the coach for that team. When I, uh, when I went to both trials, I actually made both teams. And Dave Dooley like, sat me down and said, like, look, like we have a good right side. I think that you could take this spot, but you're not guaranteed to play. Um, you definitely wouldn't play left side because at that point I was trying to learn how to pass and stuff like that too because I had stopped growing at 14. So I kind of sat down with my mom and I was like, I want to play post-secondary. I don't think I can play it as a right side. I'm not like 6'6". Six, six. What do you think would be best for me in terms of developing my game to be able to play there? And if I went to the 18U team, we would have been like national competitors. We would have had a lot of great games. But the 17 year coach was really like, I'll let you play left side. I'll let you make mistakes, all this type of stuff. And so I went to the 17 year team, which was still a strong team, but nowhere near as strong as the 18 year team. And just basically learned how to pass the ball because I was really bad on server seat when I was young. And, and did you coach, you and coach work on that relationship that like, as long as you were dialed in and competing, like you, you were going to get those opportunities to make mistakes. Like uh, I'm always interested when those preseason talks get tested later on in the season. Yeah, that, that actually did get tested. So in the beginning of the season, he let me play left side all the time. They didn't really have a true right side. They had another lefty who was pretty good. But our best lineup was me on the right side because they had two Team BC left sides as well that were pretty good. 
But he was like, up until Provincials, I'll let you play left side, like in every game. In every game, you play left side. And so I played every game, every important game on the left side and got to pass and stuff like that. And when it got to Provincials and Nationals, he started playing me more on the right side. And I was a little bit bummed because I wanted to test my passing in these like big pressure moments. And especially as a younger kid, I was kind of upset about it. But then I played right side the rest of the year and we had like, we were the best 17 new team in our 18 new tournament. Cause for BC, they combined 17 and 18 new, like we came third. We actually had a good match against our 18 new seaside team in the semifinals, but Mikey was just going OT on me all game. So not much you can do about that, but I don't regret the decision. I just, uh, the, the, the ability to learn how to pass from the coach was very valuable for me because he was a player at Capilano University. So nice. And I know you mentioned Team BC there. So, uh, what was the first year you played Team BC? And was it beach, indoor, or both? The first year that I made Team BC, I was actually a 14 year athlete and I made the 16 uh, year team as an alternate. I didn't um, expect to make the team. My mom like found out about the trial and was like, hey, would you like to just go and get the experience so when you're the right age, you know kind of what's going on. So I went to the trial, like the regional trial, not expecting to make the provincial trial, like the actual tournament. And then I got invited to the actual like tournament to make the team. And then at the tournament, I was playing outside and I wasn't playing very well. I, I thought I was playing well, but my mom like, saw the way the coaches were looking at me, like they weren't interested in me. And so then my mom came up to me after like two days. It's a four-day tournament. And it's like, you should tell them you can set. Like, you should tell them you're a setter. And I was like, okay, I will. And I went up to Ben Ball and I was like, hey, I actually can set as well. So they started playing me setter for the rest of the trial. And I obviously wasn't as good as the 16 news, but they think they saw like some potential for the future. And at the end of the trial, they put all the setters on one court. And they did a drill called kill the setter where you set a go ball to the left side, you run, you touch the attack line, like a T, and then you come back and you set a go ball to the right, touch the T, and you go that, do that as like for as long as you can. And you're trying to just set a good ball and run. And my mom told me before I do that, just leave it all out here and you probably won't make the team, but just show them that you're willing to work hard. And so after that, I made it as an alternate and got lots of like really learned how to be uh, like, like a professional athlete almost as like a kid it's not like fully professional but learn how to train multiple days in a week without hurting yourself yeah it, I, I saw a little bit on social what team bc did this year i'm wondering if it was the same when you're growing up does everybody go to like one center like say this year i think was in Kamloops, where it just gets all the regions together and like you said you learn how to train like a like a post-secondary like a pro athlete does over the course of a week but it's it's a lot of kids in the gym right yeah, so normally the way it was when I was young is you have like a regional trial where they're kind of just weeding out the kids that like would kill drills at the actual trial. So they're just weeding out the, like the bottom guys. They're more looking to cut guys than to take guys. And then I think it's like 60 or 70 athletes get invited to sometimes it's UBCO, sometimes it's TRU for like a four-day trial or sometimes it's a week-long trial. Normally the first two days, just like getting getting reps with all the guys in the gym, just flipping around doing drills. Then after that, you get assigned to like a team. All the, the coaches have like their own team. They do like a draft. And all the coaches trying to win the thing. But after the four days, you they narrow it down to two teams. So I think it's around 30 athletes. 
Um, it, they narrow it down to two teams, and then the rest of the thirty go home. So you just have a one in one in two chance of making the team. Do they try to hide it? Do the kids know a draft is going on? Because I imagine in the coaches' room, like they're all like trying to figure out how to do this and like to get the best team. But do, do the kids know it's a full on draft? Uh, I did when I was younger because one of my actually close friends now was an athlete at TRU at the time, Denim O'Reilly. He was a setter at, at TRU at the time. And I was a fortune new kid and he took me in the draft and he told me, like, I bet my hair on this draft. If I lose, if I don't win, I have to shave my head. If we win the tournament, I win $500. So we have to win this tournament. He told our whole team that. He's like, I drafted each of you guys for a reason and we have to win this tournament. And we came second, so he had to buzz his head, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I actually played on a co-ed team for him this summer. It was pretty, pretty cool. Nostalgia. So that was your, your introduction to Timo, or excuse Timo, Team BC Indoor. Uh, what was the first year you played Team BC on the beach? When Luke and I were 16U, we were traveling to play. Um, we were going to travel to Ontario to play nationals for the first time. And they had Team BC tryouts, like kind of maybe three weeks out from nationals because they were planning to go down to Seaside to do the Seaside tournament instead of going to nationals. I went to the trial and I made the team, but uh, Luke and I were training for nationals and we wanted to go to nationals instead of going to Seaside. So Dave Dooley was coaching that team and I told him, like, look, I would respectfully decline, but in the future, I'd love to make the team. And then the next year when I was 17, I did the team for the first time and they kind of pre-select certain athletes. I think they pre-select four athletes and then they take eight at the time at a trial. So I was pre-selected for the team, and then um, I really enjoyed that experience. We went down to Seaside. It's a legendary tournament. If you guys haven't gone, you guys should go. Yeah, what's your impression of Seaside? Because obviously it usually falls right around Nationals, and to some people on the West Coast, they think Seaside is, is superior. So what was your experience like? I played in like the youth draw. Our youth tournament was actually pretty strong. They had guys like Tate Collis in it, and Bradsburg, and a guy who plays in California, like Travis Hanneman. It was a pretty strong tournament for youth, but it's nowhere near the level of the, uh, of the adults. We got to watch some of our coaches play afterwards and see Eric Zahn playing, playing a tournament. And you kind of just dusted Alex Russell and uh, Johnny Wiscar, like at the time, like the legends of kids. Um, we watched Eric Zahn just ace them off the court and come into the crowd and, give Jamie Broder a kiss on the hand and talk trash to Mav and all this type of stuff. Uh, but it was really fun because you're down there with the girls team and you got to, your coaches are playing too. That was a lot of fun, but as a tournament for an adult, I don't know if it makes sense for an Ontario athlete to travel to Seaside if Nationals is the same weekend, but for a BC athlete, I think it makes sense to just take the drive down to Seaside instead of going to Beach Nationals, but I do think it's a stronger tournament now with all the AVP guys playing. Nice, nice. And I know we're bouncing around a little bit, so let's uh, tag up here at your 18 new year. So you've always had the goal of playing post-secondary. I'm wondering, going into your last year at club at Seaside, uh, had you already reached out to coaches? Has anyone been in contact with you? Like, what was the, the recruiting process happening? I, like, really wanted to play post-secondary really badly, so I sent out an email to every university in the country. I... <laughs> Kind of the copy and paste. And uh, I sent an email to every every Canada West university in the country, actually. Not every university in the country, but every Canada West school in the country. 
and I got two replies. Um, I got a reply from CRU and I got a reply from UBCO. Um, that was during the summer. And then I got some footage from high school and I sent out another email to everyone. And then I got a reply from U of A basically saying like, maybe go play college first and then you can be a libero for us. And then I got a reply from CRU saying like, we're not, we're not really that interested anymore. So it's kind of this UBCO, some colleges and OUA schools. Um, and then I actually ran into Logan Mend at a beach tournament. Um, sorry, this is the summer of 17U. And he told me to get in touch with Nate. And then I got recruited to York through that. Logan Mend gets the assist for bringing you to York. I had never reached out to them. And I got driven to an island tournament by Joel Pichetto. And Logan Mend was in the car. And... I knew Dan Everton from Team BC Beach as a mutual, so we're talking about that. And he saw me play beach at the tournament. He's like, have you committed yet? And I was like, no. He's like, oh, I'll put a word into our coach for you. You should message him. And so then I messaged him. And at the time, it was between actually Western as my last decision and York, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. Um, and then I just really loved my recruiting trip, so I, I came to York instead. Uh, help me with the timing. Was that after uh, Nathan Groenwald's first year? Yeah, I was actually Nate's first recruit um, ever. So for York, um, that was in Nate's first year. Did he ever talk to you about uh, your playing style and how that was going to fit the system he wanted to run? On my recruiting trip, he was talking to me about like what his plans were for the team and me being involved with the team. He was saying that, um, like Andrew Shawfold was at outside at the time, and he was saying you'd probably serve a similar role to Andrew Shawfold. Like he wouldn't play at least your first two years, maybe not first three, but after that, like once you get more physical, um, you have a chance to play outside on our team as like a ball control outside. You have the arm to score an high ball, so we we would set you high balls, but mainly there to to pass for bigger outsides um, to score the ball. So that was kind of his plan for me at the time. But he said that um, at the time that SNC Sam Lyle's friend was very, very qualified. And I really wanted to take my body to the next level. So that was a big decision in terms of my decision making was the SNC at York at the time. Nice, nice. No, the, the reason I bring it up is every once in a while, Nathan and I will go back and forth just through text or I'll eventually call him. But uh I think everyone falls in love with the outside hitter who is like the 6'6 to 6'8 cat who has the big arm, but there's only so many of those unicorns around. So he was kind of going down the rabbit hole of like, if you can get them, get them. But if you can't, there's always going to be a spot for the 6'3 guy who's a bit of a baller who can score in high ball situations. Uh, you're a lefty on the left side, so you had some unique stuff there. So I thought it was just interesting that he was... He was kind of forward thinking in that of like, yeah, if if you can find a six eight or six nine like a Matt Anderson, you take Matt Anderson ten times out of ten. But there, there's not one going in every recruiting class, so you gotta gotta build a team identity or a system. So just hearing that you were his first recruit just shows that he was really like going through the data and committed to a philosophy. So I'm just kind of now that I've seen you playing it to work with you, I think Nate was just ahead of his time in, in this level of thinking. But I didn't know how much he let you in behind the scenes of like what he was trying to achieve with that group. Yeah, he just told me he saw my arm. Uh, he said he watched about like three minutes of my recruiting tape, and he's like, the guy can hit the ball hard, and you can pass. So we'll take. That's basically all he said to me, and then said that if I learned to jump higher, that I would have a chance to play if I played well. Nice, nice. And you mentioned, did you do a visit, or was your first time in York's gym your first practice? 
No, I did a visit. I uh, I think I visited York in like November. They played uh, Ryerson at the time. And they were up 2-0, and then um, Toure, and why am I blanking on his name? Filibera at the time. Started talking trash to Xander through the net, and then Xander won the game in five. So Nate was not happy on my recruiting trip. Was it Jones was the Libero at that time, or I'm trying, maybe it was one before him? This, uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name. It was the There's cat who played in Ottawa, I think. I forget his name now. Yeah. Jules, maybe. Yeah. Was it Jules? Yeah, Jules. Yeah, I can see that happening. Like that group liked to have fun. So, <laughs> yeah. no, that, that's sweet, man. So I, I know you mentioned revisionist history at this point. Western was also in the running, but uh, was anyone in in the college standing in the running? Like, were you thinking about staying closer to home, or you knew that like U Sports was going to be your spot, and that if the OUA was calling, you were going to go play for York? Yeah, uh, my club coach for my H new year and my TBCB coach was Dave Dooley. I had like a pretty close relationship with him and he had stepped into cap the same time he stepped into coach me club. So I was talking to him as well. And that was another, like one of the last schools I was thinking about was cap on top of that, the Cotter coach, uh, Cisco Ferrero. I really felt like he really wanted me on the team and really valued me as a player. He's the only coach that actually messaged me first that I was actually interested in. There's like a college from Alberta that I didn't know anything about as well. But besides those two, he was actually the only coach that messaged me first. Um, so I never went on a, on a trip to Potter, but I was considering it just because I knew the coach valued me as a player. So take me through your first year at York. So you commit, uh, you're technically uh, Groenveld's first recruiting class. So pretty pretty unique group where they've had a couple coaches in a couple different years like i don't know if anyone was through the wally era maybe there was just wobby and you but anyways um i think did you and luke share your first year together so you guys kind of got to figure out together or uh how many out of province guys were on the team when you got there i guess you would have known dan everton you mentioned right yeah so our recruiting class was pretty small it was just me and luke luke nate only signed two recruits that year and Luke and I were pretty close. We played beach together growing up um, in our like 15U, 16U year. We were beach partners. And after that, we had stayed close friends. So when I found out he's coming to York with me, I was pretty happy to have someone that like I knew because before I open up to people, I can be kind of like shy and closed off. But once I open up, like I'm a loud mouth and I talk trash. But yeah, having Dan and Luke there really helped my first year. Um, because I was just like a small athletic kid that didn't really play much. My goal was to be in the weight room and having like longtime friends that I could trust really helped my first year. We weren't very good that year. I think we went seven and 11, but we had some like pretty good athletes in the gym, like Todd and Gregor sick and some pretty good middles. But yeah, it was helpful to have some friends in first year. <laughs> nice. Nice. And then as the years progress, um, I know it's revisionist history at this time, but like, what were those training sessions like? Like, uh, your first two years, let's say, like a very young Andrew Tahid, uh, Grant Litch, and what appeared to be like his eighth or ninth year. Uh, Andrew Jones is there. Uh, man, you guys had a lot of uh, personalities and people from all different backgrounds, too, right? So it was always like a cool vibe, but. Uh, I saw how the team behaved in matches, like you said when you saw in your recruiting visit. How did the team behave in training sessions? 
Yeah, Nate was always talking about how we have guys from very different parts and very different backgrounds. And he tried to leverage that and being like, get to know your teammates. You will understand why they act the way that they act. I feel like as a team, we could have done better of that. Some guys were better in terms of getting to know their teammates. And I honestly wasn't great with it. I was pretty closed off to my teammates. I wish I got to know a lot of my teammates back then better. But the guys really went at each other in practice and competed when it was time to like play ball. And guys did not hold back in terms of like feelings and stuff. I actually got told, it's a pretty funny story. Alex Gregorsick and I got into a wrestling match in my first year because um, I wasn't playing well enough. And I was the libero on his side and I needed to play better. I either had to leave the gym or I had to play better. And then I started talking trash back to him and he didn't like that the bad first year was talking back to the vet. And so I don't have any hard feelings towards him. I, I learned a lot from him, but that just describes the culture of our team. Like we're going to go at, go, go at you hard and you better be able to take it. Basically. Yeah. I think there's a time and place for that. I think where it gets abused is where people take it personally or they start to like, not like their teammate where, um, when we had Josh Minstock on the show, I thought the greatest thing he ever said about the years he played E of T was their culture was so strong that if you had a problem with it, it was your fault. Like if Marty and I are talking through the, the thing at practice and after practice, I'm mad at you. That just shows that like, I'm not invested. I'm not paying attention to the big picture here versus me just thinking you're a jerk and I want to fight you in the team room. It's like, there, there's this time and place and we're going to push and try to get the best out of each other. But if you're mad a couple days later, you need to have the awareness to let go. Yeah, even back then, I'd say the guys in the team were pretty close. Like, they, there definitely was a fair share of, like, arguments and fights at practice and stuff. But when you practice with each other so much, that's bound to happen. But I can't agree with Josh Moore. Like, if, if you're not... I think I heard on your show that, like, Grant O'Gorman was, like, great at that. Like, he would go at you in the gym and then smile at you and be like, that was so much fun, I can't wait to go at you again tomorrow. Like, in my gym, if I were a coach, that's what I'd want to have is guys that are willing to take each other's heads off but know that it's because they care about the person next to them and they care about the team that's what's best for the team yeah and in my experience i don't think grant got personal very often it would be like say he dug you two or three times in a row he'd be like hit a different shot like that's not working like do something else like you're not helping me get better and you're not getting better like it was stuff like that where uh, again i think anytime you can raise the intensity without crossing the line I, I think that's the environment i think we all strive for but uh it is interesting to hear how you went from the unathletic first year to uh man the the tables turned pretty quickly where I would say even by year three, you relied on to be a vet because Groenwald had some big recruiting classes there where I look at our roster now and I look at the recruiting class when you were in your third year, like Noah, Sean, we was in second year. Sam was also a first year. Will was a second year. Uh, Gazola commits. Uh, Jazz is a first year. Uh, Dorling is a first year and Flett is a first year. So basically the core of our team comes in as babies. And I know there was older guys like Tahi to show them the way, but you're all of a sudden outnumbered and probably relied on to be a leader with that group, right? Yeah, it was a big change. Over COVID, we were expecting to get like Andrew Jones back. We're expecting to get Gregor Sick back. We're expecting to get a couple middles back, like Andre maybe. We're expecting to get a couple guys back that, or Alex Ryu as well, we were expecting to get back. And because of COVID, like Jones had graduated, a couple other guys like Gregor Six Nine Pro, and we lost a couple of pieces. And then all of a sudden, I went from this guy who's supposed to be like, all right, I've been here, but this is my first time where like, I'm actually in a spot where I can compete. To you have to show these guys how it's done, man. Like, 
I was the fourth oldest guy on the team my second year or my third year, but COVID put us through a time warp and it was a big change. So I feel like I went about it bad at sometimes, but also good at sometimes. It's a learning experience and that's normally what happens in your second year, but it was a big change where now I have to be not only good for myself, but I have to make sure that other guys are good and I have to make sure that Ty is playing his best because Ty needs to be playing his best. He shouldn't have to worry about team culture because we want him just to be an all-star. Um, it was, yeah, it was a big change. That was almost my like main role in the team was me, Will and Dan were worried about just keeping all the guys together. And Ty did a great job of leading too, but we wanted to make sure that he was playing out of his mind because we needed him to do that. Yeah. If it's not too personal, hopefully you can share that. Cause we were chatting before the show where, um, I think sometimes culture needs to be explicit and somebody needs to own it and there needs to be organized things and there needs to be meetings about what we're trying to do. But then I think there's a ton of room for it to happen organically and for the guys to get to know each other in a less formal system where maybe even coach doesn't even know that you guys got together and watch football all day on Sunday or whatever it is. Right. So uh, what were some things that you brought to the table or that you think athletes should be able to do so they can just get to know their teammates? Cause you, again, York is just such a, a cool vibe about guys from all over the country. Like I look at our team this year, we might have guys from five different provinces, right? But we all seem to coexist. So what are some things that uh, leaders on the team can do where it doesn't have to be this big formal team building thing? Yeah, I would say that year specifically, our leadership was really poor and myself included, we went about it in like a really not great way. We were almost like too strict on things and didn't allow people to be themselves, I guess. We wanted everything to be very proper, very professional, and didn't allow people to be their own person and almost caused this pushback. But I think like just getting to know your teammates as if they were like friends in class. Like get to know them, hang out with them off the court. Like right now, the other day we were coffee Joe and want tickets. Like those are just great things that you can do with your teammates. It doesn't have to be this big plan thing from coach, like, all right, we're gonna go we're scavenger hunt downtown on our one day off and now you guys all are forced to see each other. Sometimes I feel like that can almost hurt team culture because guys are seeing everyone every day and now the little things that bug them are bugging them even more the next week. Versus like, hey man, we're we're gonna watch the football game for two hours right now. Like it's nice at York, everyone kinda lives close by except for a couple commuters. You should come by and watch the football game, you can leave whenever you want. It's just nice for guys to be able to pop in and out and even the act of feeling invited to a teammate's house, like they want to hang out with you, goes a long way rather than just being like, oh, we're here because coach says we have to be here. For sure. For sure. No, I love when that organic stuff pops up. And um, I can, uh, excuse me, I can cut this out if you don't want to hit in the internet. But uh, last year, you made the decision to leave York in your second semester and you came back this year. And uh, I think you're super excited. I think you're super engaged. So, it, it, again, if it's not too personal, just take me and the listeners through the decision of why it was right to step away and then how more mentally um, excited do you feel just to be back at school by taking that time off? You can leave it in. It's totally fine. Um, honestly, I needed to grow up. I had a lot of things in terms of life that I needed to figure out. I needed to figure out how to budget properly. I needed to figure out how to take care of my mental health properly. I needed to figure out, like, is this degree that I'm getting at York the degree that I really want? Like, all those questions that I should have asked myself when I was, like, much younger in my life all kind of came down at once and was really affecting volleyball. It never was anything to do with 
the coach or my teammates or volleyball or anything like that. That was the one thing that was wanting to keep me in because I really liked the team. Well, the team had a great shot at going to nationals. Like that was the big thing keeping me here. It was all the other aspects of life where like I needed to grow up and I needed to figure it out. And I almost needed like a reset in terms of that. Like I needed a safety net basically to help me get back on my feet. So I went home to kind of figure out what I wanted to do in my life. And I worked and I did train with Douglas while I was there. And my intention was while I'm figuring this out, I will take courses at Douglas. And if I want to, I'll play for the team. That was my intention at the time. And I was talking to Jay about potentially playing there. And then as I kind of started to figure out like what I wanted to do in my life, I realized that this degree from Europe is really valuable and I'm almost done it. So let's come back and let's finish what we've started. My parents were always like, you should finish what you start. So that was the big reason for me wanting to come back. And I'm, I had a good relationship with Todd. And he was like, hey, if you ever want to come back, shoot me a message. Like it may not be the cleanest conversation, but I do, I do care about you as a person. And I think you're a good asset to our team. So if you ever change your mind, just shoot me a message. And if I have a spot for you, I'll let you know. So yeah, that's the big reason for me leaving, but I'm, I'm really excited with the team that we have this year and, and the guys that we have. Yeah. Like uh, I, I love our team too. I'm total biased alert here, but uh, it's different. It's way different than what the team was last year. So uh, reflecting, taking time off, like, did you honestly feel energized like your first week back on campus? Yeah, I got back to campus really early because I had I was taking summer courses in, in the summer from York because I had only taken one course at Douglas and I needed to be able to play and I also needed to get on track for my degree as well. So I took courses in the summer. I had a, a summer exam in person and so I had to fly out here to be here on August 15th and our training camp didn't start for like a, up until September to have a new coach. And so it's just me here on campus um, by myself, basically, and open gyms with coach and maybe one or two other guys. But I still really enjoyed it because it felt like it was something that I had been missing. When I first left, I wasn't missing it that much in terms of the team or volleyball. I was just happy they were doing well. But then once I had really decided this is what I wanted to do, it was like, almost such like a load off my back that like I am doing the right thing for what I want to do. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, I, I think, I, I don't know what it was. I felt like you and I always got along and I love talking volleyball with you. So it was great to get you on the show. Uh, hopefully after this interview, a lot of people check out your game and start to uh, just see you play more. But as they do, I just want to tip them off here. Left-handed left side. So some coaches are absolutely against this. Let's dive in the weeds uh, technically, tactically here. Uh, I think anyone who's against a left-handed left side should be against right-handed right sides and they'd be stupid to do it because we've had Gavin and Sharon and now Arthur's killing it and Slater. So uh, I think we, we've done well. So uh, obviously there's just an abundance of right-handed people. So it just makes more sense that they're always on the left side with the ball crossing their body and stuff. But with you being a left side lefty, what are some shots or what are some things different that I think the other team has to defend versus say like a right-handed left side? So you want me to give away all my like tricks to the whole league? Not all your tricks, but maybe when I go to club tournaments this year, I won't see one lefty on the court and one on the bench because they can only play right side. They certainly can't play middle where I'm thinking the, the angles you guys can hit. And I know you got to figure out their approach a little bit. You got to be a little bit more open. But I think left-handed people on the left side should be given an opportunity. Yeah. And I think if you watch pro volleyball, you see the games changing with that. There's lots of them popping up. Ole Plotnitsky broke his leg the other day, which is unfortunate, but like 
guys like Slivka, Ole, there was like the Ukrainian, I don't know why his name's not popping to my head, he that was the OG of it. It was like Julian Tanil, Rossard, like all these guys are popping up that are lefty left sides. First things first, yeah, I have to be able to pass the left side. That's like pretty obvious, not different if you're left-handed or right-handed, but just toying with where you start your approach um, based off where the set goes. Like you don't always start from the same part, point on the court. When Nate first started working with me, he wanted me to bring my approach inside, which I find works well when the pass is good because you can almost like go out with the ball and you can decide if you want to cut it off here or drag it and drop tip it like right by the antenna. Like you have lots of decisions that you can make and it increases your hitting window. But then as the pass comes off the net, the ball is now almost coming more over your head and you have to almost take one step like straddle the line or one step outside the line. And toying with where you start your approach based off the pass was like a big thing that helped me have a larger hitting window, um, but still be able to not like drift into the net or like be able to still see the block while I'm attacking. The big thing that I think like everyone should have, whether they're right-handed or left-handed, is just that drop tip down the line. Like Eric Lepke's doing it now all the time, but it's just such an efficient shot with low risk. Like if it's there, you just take it. I know the bounce line's cool, but if you have that drop tip line, just like almost like flush it down, it's so frustrating for the blockers, then you're going to have cross all day. So I think everyone, right-handed, left-handed, should just... If you have that shot, just try it. And I think that it'll start working. And, and I know you've played for a lot of good coaches. Uh, like you mentioned, Dave Dooley growing up, or you, your club coaches or team uh, BC coaches were always like college university cats. So people who understood the game really well. But I'm wondering, because it is such a, a unique perspective, how much of it was just you coming from a volleyball family and being willing to explore the technique? Because... Uh, I think sometimes as coaches, we're really good at coaching the stuff we're passionate about, but not everyone's been a left-handed left side. So it, how much was it was just you being a, a guy who loved volleyball and you could explore? Because like you said, th there isn't an X marks the spots like reception or uh, where you start your approach from because it's constantly changing based on the ball coming over your head, right? Yeah, I would say when I was younger playing club, it was all feel like just feeling out where I like to start off the sets and stuff. I didn't watch anywhere near as much like pro as I do. I would kind of just watch when my mom's watching it because it also wasn't as accessible back then. There wasn't like BBTV and I didn't have a volumetrics account, like any stuff like that. So I kind of just watched what my parents were watching. Uh, when I first came to York though, Nate was really excited at the idea of a left to left side. It, like at that point, Steve was pretty young. He was like frustrating people. Saw a lot of similar things in me, but just a little shorter. So he put me through like a lot of Sleepka film and would send me like lots of Sleepka film to figure it out and wanted me to try to start moving it inwards. And I would say as I've gotten older, it's become more video based, but I do still think that there is always space for that like individual creativity, like feel piece because I was originally always starting inside and listening to Nate always starting inside. But then there were certain balls where I just felt like I, there was no way I was jumping and not coming underneath the net and killing my teammate. So I had to figure out how can I get away where I can still drift into this ball, but I'm not drifting straight at the net. So I have like more distance to drift and just figured that out through feel. So I think it's a mix of feel and film and coaching. But yeah, I think if you have the opportunity to watch a video of someone similar to you, you should definitely do it. Awesome. Awesome. And I know you mentioned doesn't matter if you're left-handed, right-handed, ambidextrous, like you got to be able to serve receive and you got to be able to pass the ball. So 
when you were growing up, uh, what were some keys that you figured out that you, you know, you wanted the ball, you wanted the rep, you wanted to be in those tough situations? Like, was it just working on your footwork? Were you a big angles guy, big platform guy? Like, what kind of clicked for you that you kind of went from being service receive something I have to do to something you were pretty passionate about? Yeah. When I was young, my mom was my coach for like 14 15 U. And we were like still learning to pass our legs back then. Like don't move your platform, any of this type of stuff. Cause that's the way people were taught back then is pass your legs, move your arms. It's a changing angle. Like you don't know what you're doing. And then as I got older, I worked with Ryan Hofer. He's like, that's wrong. She passed the arms. And then more and more, my mom is a good coach, but more and more knowledgeable coaches that were like university coaches, like Ryan Hofer's legendary coach and like college players and stuff like that. Dave Dooley, Nate, like, more and more knowledgeable players were saying like the game's changing here. Like you want to use your platform to feel the ball and stuff like that. But in terms of my mind, I just I've never been a kid who's afraid of failing. My mom's instilled that from a young age. So I don't care if I'm in there and like it's match point and I'm getting served the ball. Like I'm gonna go after that ball and I'm in my head, I'm like, I'm about to die in this, but I don't care if I fail. Like, I've never been a kid who's afraid of failing. I've always rather fail than, like, hesitate and, like, fail that way, I guess. Or, like, not try, and then I lose because I didn't try. I would way rather try, fall on my face, and get embarrassed. Like, Awesome. Awesome. So cool to hear, man. So, like I said, uh, I'm a big fan of your game. I enjoy working with you, but I didn't really know the the background of it. So it was great to hear you share and just talk about your journey here. And uh, just looking at the clock here, I've taken a bunch of your time. But one thing we like to end the show with is just a funny or unique story where, you know, you've come through the club system, provincial team system, now playing in youth sports. Uh, something odd or funny must have happened along the way. So I was hoping you could just share a funny story before we let you go. Yeah. Um, when I was 17 U, our club team was a bunch of goons. We are like... But those of you who know Surrey, you know Surrey's kind of divided. Like you have White Rock, which is the really nice areas of Surrey. Um, a lot of rich, rich people, all that type of stuff. And then you have North Surrey, where it's not necessarily crazy sketchy, but like more like ghetto, ghetto area, more kids that like are struggling. And our team was like a mixture of both. And so that kind of set it up for like you had some pretty like guys that were dogs on the team and you had some guys that were soft on the team. Um, and when we went to the best of the West, we were, we were bored and we were sitting in the, in the common area of our hotel. We were like, what are we going to do to pass some time? And this guy, Jason McGonagall, he's like, he's a troublemaker. He's like, why don't we have a boxing match to see who's going to start tomorrow? And so we took some towels, we wrapped it around our hands and we paired, uh, people by position group. And it just happened to be like the, the, the white rock kids. Versus the Fleetwood kids, like the North Surrey kids. And you're fighting for your starting spot. And so I'm assuming you could kind of tell who's going to win most of those fights. And so we're like having all these different rounds. Guys are going at each other with towels. So it doesn't like hurt, but it's just taking skin off because it's like abrasion. And then I'm boxing some kid. Um, I'm not even from Surrey, but I'm boxing some Fleetwood kid. I'm getting my, getting my head worked right now. And I get kind of hit, and I'm on the ground, and then I look up, and through the doorway is my head coach and, and my assistant coach. And I think they're going to be mad at, at us for having a boxing match the day before, like a big tournament. But then they both take their shirts off, and they start boxing each other, and it's it's so much fun. And our team was just, like, pretty close, but that's a funny story where they could get in trouble by your coach, but 
now your assistant coach and your head coach is boxing each other to see who's going to be the head coach tomorrow. Like, just experience something like that. Oh, free time is so dangerous for a bunch of guys. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad nobody got hurt, and uh, I'm glad coaches didn't know about it before it happened. If they were encouraging that, I think they'd be out of coaching, but uh, thankfully nobody was hurt, and it was all... We can look back and laugh about it. It's something that will probably never happen in this era. Yeah, definitely. The kids these days would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, thanks again for coming on the show and sharing all that you did. It was, it was great to hear about your career, and I can't wait to watch you play uh, the rest of your esports career, man. It's going to be great. Thank you so much for having me, and I enjoy working with you every day.